0: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J-10 Initiative.
1: Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know.
0: This is Deacon
1: Jake. This is Father Sean.
0: And we are on round two. Yes, we'll jump we, right totally, in. We'll admit it.
1: we totally blew our last I don't recording.
0: know if we totally blew it, it just wasn't a good one. And we want to do the best By our listeners, so we're Well, I don't
1: know if this will be the best, but hopefully it's better than our last. It's also like 5 a.m. right now, and I sound groggy, so I apologize.
0: It's only 7 a.m., so that's a little bit... 7 a.m. on
1: a Monday morning, which is our day off.
0: It's effectively 5 a.m., I guess. And by day
1: off, I mean day out of the office, where we don't go in the office. You don't kind of take sick calls primarily. Out and about. uh, I'm going biking today. After You
0: you go to Mass at... Mullen?
1: Today I'm going to go con-celebrate Mass at Mullen, my alma mater, Mullen High School. All right. Father Brady, Father Peter, three companions all graduated from Mullen High School.
0: Are they doing like a event? It's thing homecoming
1: or? week, so today okay. is like um, o- the opening of homecoming week, which kudos to them that they start with Mass. Um, and then like seniors get a bandana, freshmen get beanies, and it's like this whole long tradition, I don't know, of like 50, 60 years, so... When I was a freshman, um, I graduated in 2012. I'm pretty young. Don't be, uh, don't be alarmed by that. Yes, I am a validly ordained priest. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, shocked I, to I hear that I'm graduated. still. I
0: graduated in 2013, college. College,
1: yeah. <laughs> Everyone's shocked when I'm like, "Yeah, I'm still 29." They're like, "You're still in your 20s?" I always thought you were like mid 30s. I'm like, "Thanks."
0: It's the height. It's the height. the height. Gives you people think I'm still 12. So
1: it's the beard. People are like, "Wow, you look so much older with a beard." Um, Anyway, so I would have been a freshman 2009, um, I guess 2008 to 2009. And, uh, yeah, fall of freshman year for homecoming, you have this mass and then you get your beanie and you have to wear your beanie all that week. And, you know, there's some hazing, hopefully not anything too, (laughs) too rambunctious. Um, and then you have the home.
0: Everybody's pulled back on that in the last, uh, decade or more. True. The beanie stuff, I think most places have something like that. Yeah, it's like a sign. Matchbuff had a beanie for a while. I don't know what they do now, if they do anything.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'm not sure. And then it culminates with the homecoming uh, football game on Friday.
0: I heard that uh, freshman year was just built explicitly for eighth graders because eighth graders think they're on the top of the world. Mm. And then freshman year pulls them back down.
1: What about freshman year of college?
0: (laughs) College is different, man. College is... Supposed to be adults coming together, but then we realized that we were still children, then too.
1: <laughs> supposed to be adults. That's funny.
0: I'd love, I loved college. I loved Steubenville. Um, we talked about that, me and Father, I think it was Father John, um, kind of on our, our topic, but I did love Steubenville. Um, I haven't been back for a while. I'm thinking about going back there.
1: I got in a fight with someone recently. I don't know if I, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but maybe too late. We, I started.
0: Maybe we, we're just gonna restart again. We're, just, I, uh, we're gonna roll it back. Third time is a
1: third charm. time's a charm. No, this will be fine. Um, I got in a fight with someone recently about like Steubenville and this person was like Steubenville is like it's orthodox, but it's kind of like on the left side of things because it's. Um, charismatic and i'm like you have no idea what you're talking about
0: that's that's the characteristic of it.
1: <laughs> she's like there's a spectrum and on one side of the spectrum is like uber charismatic they're all orthodox and on the other side of the spectrum you have like thomas aquinas college i said okay i'm just gonna not answer anything anymore
0: <laughs> well i'm not gonna get into that because that would take us on a whole tangent but i love my alma mater uh they are faithfully catholic they are academically excellent. We used to kind of make fun of them. That was one of their slogans on the posters, right? Academ- academically excellent. excellent, faithfully Catholic. That's awesome. That was our chant because we had Division Three sports.
1: Yeah, D3 sports, and then you'd go to the uh, games, and then people would chant whatever, and you would be losing, and you'd be like, we're going to heaven.
0: <laughs> I never heard that one. Okay. <laughs> Who was
1: telling me that? That was something else. I don't know. I think that might have been must have
0: been Jack Jr. It, no, I That's think it was high school at, you know. actually. <laughs>
1: um I'll never forget. This is so funny. So funny. Um I was a senior in high school and I would I did not play basketball despite my height, but my good buddy Ryan hate Ryan hate played basketball and it was uh senior year so his last game. I don't know if it was playoffs or just towards the end of the season, but we were playing Creek and uh, Mullen is 4A by size, but we play 5A in a lot of sports. Um, and so we were playing 5A for basketball. And Cherry Creek, I mean, they're just like a monster school with in a powerhouse with like all the sports, you know? So we are playing away. So we drive to Creek. Um, I just went crazy in the stands. Like it was so much fun. And like we just got. Our butts kicked. Like it was, pro- we were probably down thirty to forty points, <laughs> kind of like the Broncos were yesterday. But that's a different story.
0: Broncos, see you Buffs. Man, it was a bad, bad week. It for was Colorado. a bad week
1: for Colorado sports. Um, and so we're down, and then we just start. <laughs> We just start chanting because this is a Mullen against Cherry Creek. Now, if you know the Denver area, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, total stereotypes here. And we, seniors in high school and whoever else was there, we start chanting, We're going to college. That's pretty bad. And without skipping a beat, Cherry Creek turns around and goes, Daddy's bunny. <laughs> I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. I'm like, That is such a good comeback because Mullen's <laughs> a private school. But the irony is like Cherry Creek is in like the Cherry Creek, Cherry Hills neighborhood, which is like where all the um, kind of uber rich people live. But anyways, we, no, we might what, be offending what, people right now by bringing probably, all these things probably. up.
0: What's ironic is me as a match buff kid, which like we'd chant daddy's money to both of you if we had heard that. That's hilarious. Um, and we'd be losing to both of you probably in sports. But <laughs> Yeah,
1: but match buff is like 2A.
0: <laughs> right now, yeah, we were 3A my, during my time. We had a really good baseball team. Um, for about, That's because you were on it. Well, I was only there for about... Well, for four years of it. <laughs> for about four years of uh my high school four years no I think it was about an eight year run eight year run matchup of basketball or baseball, baseball was was very competitive Matchbuff girls basketball won i think two state championships within kind of my time, maybe even a third after I left so yeah. they were they've been had been very good yeah. um, our football team was never good uh, our soccer team we tried to compete. A couple times but when i was there we never made the playoffs their current team they are in 2a now but their current soccer team oh it's uh, they crush it incredible incredible teams the last couple of years so yeah shout
1: out to carl Shree. he's like the ringer from what i hear
0: so i don't know it's high school sports are great i agree they were my life they're not everything
1: they were, were my life at the time they were everything though
0: 100 <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. i would wake up there's v- few things i would wake up this early in the morning for father sean uh podcasting <laughs> with you is one of them, and then getting some extra reps in the batting cage Love or, it. H- or hitting the gym was slammers. another one. I did some slammers during the summers. We had uh, we had a cage up in um, above the gym at the school, oh, that's so we'd right. just go there before school. Uh, and uh, now I might get up this early for pumpkin spice lattes because yes. it's that season and I'm having my first ever.
1: Don't judge us for ordering Starbucks, but... Every fall I have to at least get one PSL. Yeah. (laughs) Pumpkin spice. Father Sean texts
0: me this morning on on his way in. He's like, Hey, do you want something from Starbucks? And I said, Sure, whatever you're getting. And then he walks in and he's like, I got you a PSL. And I'm like, All right You're like, What's that? (laughs) And then Father Sean goes, Yeah, it's my first of the season and I go, I think this is my first ever. (laughs) That was so
1: funny. So awesome. It's okay. They're very sweet. sweet. They're very sugary, but it's the taste of fall (laughs) allegedly allegedly you know it's like a pumpkin spice latte pumpkin spice beer oktoberfest i
0: don't like pumpkin spice beer
1: well then you're not living
0: i it's probably because the first one i ever had was so bad i just never trusted in pumpkin
1: spice beer i like like pumpkin flavored beer like lightly but not like a full-on like it can't be overpowering you know
0: Well, I've heard from somebody somewhere sometime in the past that (laughs) pumpkin has very little flavor and your pumpkin flavor is actually all the spices that you put in like pumpkin pie or pumpkin bread.
1: That's interesting. I feel bloated and disgusting now that you just said that.
0: Now you know. I'm trying to run PSL season for you.
1: Uh, I think you just might have. Good. (laughs) It's also a waste of money. These coffees were way overpriced and welcome to Denver and
0: Starbucks. That's why I accepted you buying me one. (laughs)
1: Hey, priest always pray, pays. Priest always pays. That was our rule in seminary.
0: Deacon sometimes pays. Seminarian never, never pays. pays. <laughs> Love it.
1: Well, what do you want to talk
0: about? <laughs> it's your topic. All right. Uh, are we going to try and do uh, the exact same thing? Are we going to have the exact same conversation but correct our errors, our erroneous ways? No, we're going to switch
1: the topic. But... We
0: are changing the topic. All right.
1: <laughs> um, are we going to dive in? How long do we do banter for? That's 10 minutes of banter. I just had a
0: friend say he wants us to do uh, all four of us on Purely Banter podcast.
1: That'd be awesome.
0: So uh, we should probably put like a warning disclaimer on the title (laughs) for that one for anybody who would just despise that. But for those who enjoy it, who want to laugh along with us.
1: You know, the people who are anti-banter are like extremely anti-banter. But the people who are pro-banter are just like, yeah, I like it. It's good. (laughs) And then you have some people who are like extreme pro-banter. Yeah. But it seems like the anti banters are, are more
0: talkative. We love you all. I don't know who you are. I don't think you're on a spectrum. Thanks for listening.
1: <laughs>
0: Anyways, Deacon Jacob, <laughs> start
1: us off. Um, so I was thinking about this the last couple of weeks with some of the feast days that we've had of evangelizing the rest of the world, evangelizing the world. Um, maybe just to start us off, have you ever seen the movie Silence?
0: I have not. Do you know what it's about? I do know what it's about. What's it about? The Japanese Catholics and the uh, Jesuit missionaries to them in the was whew, I don't know the years 1500s, 1600s? That sounds right. I actually don't know the I don't know the years, years on that either. Fourteen hundreds. I don't think it was. That I mean, there had to be Jesuits, so it's post post <laughs> Jesuits uh, coming into. It's not fourteen or thirteen hundreds, right? So I think it's fifteenth or sixteenth century existence.
1: or sixteenth or seventeenth century. I mean,
0: um, yeah. This is really funny because we did have this conversation before. So you knew that I hadn't seen it. That is true. I just true. had to admit that to the... That is true. I did know that. Yeah, I mean, it's a
1: really tough movie to watch. I don't think I would recommend it without extreme caution. Um, but if you do watch it, like you're wrestling with some really, really tough questions. And um, specifically what's going on is uh, these French missionaries, priests, Jesuits, um as well as I'm sure lay people came as well, but the movie portrays um, the priest going over to um, the Orient, the Eastern kind of Asian continent and evangelizing it. And so this movie takes place in Japan and just like, how how are they received? How does that work? How does that look? And they're met with um, at first of just like, Oh, these are, you know, different people, different, you know, skin color. There's kind of like an excitement, but part of the challenge of the Christian message is, um, Christ is the king, and we are all brothers and sisters going towards him. So equality, and um, there's one king. And so oftentimes in these Eastern religions, uh, Japanese at this time, and I'm sure there's still somewhat of this, although um, there is a big, uh, I don't know how big, but there's um, some active Catholics in um, in Japan. And what's cool is we actually have a family at our parish, you might remember them, um, who Uh, She's from Japan, and uh, she just talks about Nagasaki and and pilgrimages that you could do there and and just how awesome the Catholic community is.
0: Yeah, Father Ryan O'Neill, he's a priest here in Denver, and he kind of fell in love with Japanese culture uh, in general, but he he took a pilgrimage over there, and he said Nagasaki was incredible because Catholicism's a minority by by all accounts, but Nagasaki especially is Quite Catholic, yeah. uh, in all things considered, and a big part of that is um, the the missionary efforts. But then the Franciscans with Maximilian Kolbe. Pray for us, Maximilian Kolbe, great saint of World War II. Uh, we all know, or most of us know, his story of offering his life in in place of another in the concentration camps. And then, um, as as they were in the chamber uh, to be starved he would just keep them praying and singing, and people were staying alive, and they were just like, what's going on? Um, so eventually, she had to come kill him. Yeah, with
1: carbolic acid. But St. Maximilian Kolbe is my uh, confirmation saint.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. Love that He's guy. a good one. But what a lot of people don't know about St. Maximilian Kolbe was he, he did a whole lot before that one heroic act. He was living a saintly life his whole life, not just the, the final action. And I think a lot of times we get kind of like the, the ultimate story of Especially the saint. Especially for martyrs. And, and that becomes their entire uh, reason for being a saint in our mm-hmm. mindset. But the reality is they were living saintly lives that prepared them to be ready for martyrdom. And so Maximilian Colby loved our mother, and he started kind of this publication called the, um, the Militia Immac- Immaculata, mm-hmm. which was just kind of a pamphlet um, printout with just kind of devotional prayers and ideas and thoughts kind of around Our Lady uh, that was sent out uh, around all their uh, from the printing presses that they had at their uh, monasteries. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they started one in Nagasaki. Right. Uh, and so because of that Franciscan presence in Nagasaki, which actually was on the far side of the mountain from the actual city, when the atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, Mm -hmm. the monastery was spared. And so the Franciscan brothers who were there were actually some of the first who were able to come into the city and and assist people uh, after, after the tragedy of the bomb. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's still just this kind of presence and awareness of, of the Franciscans and the Catholic church there, um, which I'd love to see one day, but
1: yeah, well, let's take a pilgrimage. Let's do it. Um, so maybe two th- points um, that made the the faith kind of hard to receive in these Oriental countries. The first one is the uh, king or Caesar, whatever they were, the emperor, I believe is primarily what they were called. Um,
0: Caesar was uh, more of a Baltic, R- Roman. Russian, uh, kind of took on the Caesars with the czars. The czar, but that's the, true. The Caesar name was just from the Roman Caesars, mm-hmm. uh, who were the head leaders, and they didn't want to call themselves emperors. <laughs> Um, but that title just kind of spread throughout the whole Roman empire and then even beyond. Uh, but it just means, you know, first leader, emperor. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, a lot of cultures have taken that on, but not I think just, in the not East just it was a lot more emperor. Emperor.
1: Gotcha. Not just like first, but it's like divine. Right. And so that was the hostility that Christians were met with. of like, this guy is divine. Um, and that was kind of the culture of, of, the Orient. Um, If the emperor is divine, then you owe him worship. You owe him adoration. You owe him your life in many ways. Um, Additionally, there's a caste system, Um, especially in like India, uh, which... I was told recently that it doesn't actually exist today. <laughs> Legally, it does um, not exist, but it essentially on the
0: street. There's still very much um, an awareness of the caste. Kind of system. culturally, and there's still kind of the yeah. untouchables are still kind of seen and uh, yeah. So you have avoided. what is it like the
1: Brahma, which is like the the top. That's like the um, uh, like princes and princesses and the royalty, and then you have rippling down all the way to the untouchables, those that you can't even touch. Um, right? And this is why Mother Teresa was so heroic is because she goes into the street and she touches those. She picks up those who literally have maggots crawling out of their skin because they're so dirty, because no one has washed them, no one has bathed them, and they can't do it themselves for whatever reason. And she loves them, right? And so this caste system is met with hostility towards Christianity as well because the Christian message is like, there's only one God and he's not on this earth. It's not this emperor dude. And All of us together are equal. We're brothers and sisters in Christ heading towards heaven, right? That's our destiny, heading towards uh, the king who is in heaven. And when you have a a culture for for years, centuries, um, maybe even close to a millennium or two, living with an emperor as God, as worship, the emperor is not going to say like, oh yeah, we're all equal and no longer, you don't, you don't have to worship me anymore, <laughs> right? So this met with great hostility. And so um, all that have to say, the movie Silence, um, you see kind of the horrors and the challenges of like, okay, you're Christian, well, me as emperor, you need to apostatize and you need to worship me. You're not going to worship this Christ.
0: Yeah, basically the, the big push was... Um you have to commit some sort of like idolatry or sacrilege against the, the face or image of Christ, uh, to show that you, you're primarily obedient to me as emperor, as ruler. Um, and this is kind of what that movie silence is about, but there's also uh, great books about, um, the, the Japanese Mm -hmm. saints, um, and stuff. And, and so the, the topics of apostasy and faithfulness and all that is what, um, you're going to experience in that film. But the most impressive thing to me is the Japanese Christians themselves, especially those that did not have a priest or a local community, right. they came together. They had kind of a, an elder figure who would catechize and baptize and kind of lead the Christian community, but they were always waiting for the priest. Right.
1: Yeah. Because <clears throat> they didn't have enough priests and, if priests were found, right, and they found out who the priests were, right, because of you know they were white, they were from a different country, uh, continent, whatever, they they were persecuted, right, and so silence. You see some pretty horrific like um, tortures and even a crucifixion at one point, and that's why I really like caution you if you do watch this. Uh, it's very very gory, very very graphic, and it's but the reason why I think it's it's. Um, like an important film is because it's wrestling with some of the hardest questions in the history of the world. What would we do if all of a sudden our our country said Catholicism is no longer legal? How would we react? And there's extreme persecution of the Catholic faith. Uh, extreme is probably a little too harsh, but uh, cause it's not like, no one's dying in the streets for Catholicism right now. but Not in the U.S. Not um, in the U.S. I mean, in the
0: U.S., there's, there's kind of some cultural pressures and maybe cultural persecutions, and we're made to... And I feel sometimes like, oh, man, it's uncomfortable to wear my collar. Um, but even sometimes it's like people don't even know what it is more than anything. Um, right. I don't feel as much like hostility or animosity. But there really is, I mean, especially in Nigeria right now, I think is one of the, the biggest places where people are... Seminarians are being uh, kidnapped. Right. Uh, priests are being killed. Christians are being killed, literally in the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is persecution, maybe worse right. than we've seen uh, in, in yeah, a long but while. I, I, I but was
1: I was talking about America but about America, yeah. And really I think um, there's persecution, especially in like the media, and it's not the cool thing to do. But whatever, like yeah. we're not.
0: I don't know, it's it's what does that word persecution mm-hmm. mean? Cuz I think sometimes it can be a little bit kind of bandied about freely and somebody doesn't like what you're doing and says that or or kind of, kind of attacks you a little bit verbally like is that is that persecution to some degree? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but is it I don't know. Sometimes we the persecution title can can enter into a victimhood mindset. Right. And the thing is like the martyrs were going to their deaths as if it was a victory. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like we throw around the persecution title out of fear rather than um, acknowledging kind of what's going on. And so yeah. I, I, I don't know, this is a whole other topic, but sure. but my own thoughts about it is, is like there's, there's an element where, yes, persecution is happening in a kind of an intellectual or not even that intellectual, but just kind of in the intellectual elite, the media elite. The, the church will not get the airtime, for anything positive Mm -hmm. and anything negative will go to the the front page. So there's like a bit of a a targeting persecution there, but it's a lot more about um, title, image, um, Mm -hmm. reputation, rather than like the the persecution of stamping out churches um, with authority, closing churches, killing people, you know, confiscating property. That's not as much happening, but we have seen uh, a rise in, you know, vandalism, um, especially after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, a lot of the, the Catholic and Christian um, women's help centers were getting rocks thrown through windows and stuff. So it's there. It mm-hmm. is there. Um, and, and it might get worse, but it's also I want to temper that word a little bit totally. when, when there are you know, actual like, martyrdoms happening. Yeah, yeah, and we places. can get
1: that victim mentality. So. But, but anyways, so it's met with great hostility in that sense, and so these martyrs are, are made. And and the reason why I was thinking about this and um, recently is because over the last two weeks, we've had some really, really good feast days for missionary work, right? So we had St. Matthew recently, and then the day before that, we had the Korean martyrs. Mm-hmm. And we were on staff retreat, so I was able to read a little bit more. Normally for, <laughs> for daily mass homilies, I'm like throwing something together five minutes before mass, not out of irresponsibility, but more of like... Um, you just don't prep as much for, for daily mass for various reasons. And um, anyways, I had a little bit more time to prep and wanted to give a good homily of like, I want to know their story. And their story was so profound reading about the the Korean martyrs, St. Andrew uh, Kim Taegon. And uh, so basically just kind of a, an overall summary here. Uh, from the turn of the 18th to 19th century, uh, there was some persecution in Korea from the Chinese Qing dio- uh, dynasty. And so naturally what happens is you get these Korean refugees that need to flee. They're tired of the persecution. So they actually go to China in order to find refuge. And when they're in China, you know, a generation or whatever passes by, maybe not even that long, and they begin to learn Chinese. They begin to learn language. And what's so crazy is that there's actually missionaries, Christian missionaries who are living in China at the time. And so these Korean refugees start to learn about God, start to learn about the catechism, start to learn about scripture in Chinese. And then they're like, we don't want this just for us. Like, this is meant for everyone. This is the good news. Like, it's meant to permeate everywhere. And so these mission, these um refugees, the Koreans, they go back home to Korea and start to smuggle in Bibles and catechisms and eventually translate them from Chinese into Korean.
0: Was it uh kind of immediately frowned upon by the the current governments in was it like uh, active hiding of it or was it more of a um kind of a grassroots growth because it was so small and then the the government started to kind of be aware i
1: don't know that specifically i imagine in korea it was first kind of grassroots of like hey um this is the good news let's spread it and then when they started to get pushback again because uh the Emperor of Korea didn't want to be seen as not divine and you're telling me I'm I'm (laughs) divine. And again, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just like uh the upper class who gets to possibly become divine and the lower class gets to stay lower. Um and then if they believe in you know an afterlife and you know karma and what that looks like. Um but now the Christian claim is no no, we're all equal. And like that's scary for the upper class, but that's really exciting for the lower class, who's Mm -hmm. just like, oh yeah, yeah, we want to be equal. Um, and so i don't know how it exactly worked if it was hostile at first but the church eventually does go pretty quickly into uh, hiding the underground church as we call it uh from what i remember reading and as they're um spreading the good news right what's the one sacrament you need or what the one sacrament you have without clergy baptism which is so 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 profound to think about so these koreans who are in china refugees, they come back to Korea, they bring, you know, Bibles, catechisms, etc. And then what do they do? They baptize people. And then about two or three generations go by, 4,000 baptized Koreans are waiting. They've heard about all these different things, but they've never met a priest. They've never had mass. They've never been confirmed. They've never received first communion. They've never been married in the church, you know, maybe civilly. And I mean, just how profound that is. Their hearts are so ripe. And uh, when this happened in Japan, uh, Pope Pius XII or eleventh, XI, whoever it was, said, it's a sheer miracle that the Christian community survived through these times mm-hmm. because without the presence of, of clergy, without the presence of the sacraments, again, other than baptism. So 4,000 Korean baptized Catholics waiting for the first missionaries to come uh, by the time the first priest got there, yeah. which is so cool to think about. <laughs>
0: And then who were who the first, at least in this, this period? Because the whole—I um, I would love to do a deeper study of this personally on a kind of historical level. Sure. But the the churches in Asia are fascinating to me because there's been many kind of evangelical, <laughs> evangelical um, uh, attempts into the Far East. Mm-hmm. And so we have St. Thomas, the apostle, went to India for sure. We know he was in India. But I've been reading some— uh, kind of scholarly articles that are arguing that he likely made it to China or at least the kind of the um, first reaches of of what we now call China because from India he continued farther east and and the apostles were told to go to the ends of the earth. And so we have um, St. James go to the end of Spain. Uh, Santiago de Compostela at the yeah, end the, finis, the
1: farthest terre, right yeah,
0: the farthest tip of Europe and then you just see the ocean we didn't you know uh, the European Mediterranean world didn't know about the Americas yet but right. at that point that was the end of the world and back to ancient Greek literature you know like the end of the Iberian peninsula was the end of the world uh, after that who knew um, Thomas goes the other way he goes east and so mm-hmm. Thomas was uh, end up being killed in India in what's now Chennai, um, and his tomb there, uh, his body has since been moved, but his tomb there, there's a basilica of St. Thomas over his uh, tomb site in Chennai, and there were these Catholics in India for hundreds of years, you know, over a thousand years, and when the Portuguese showed up as missionaries to India, they found this small but thriving Catholic Church. That's so cool. And there was kind of this like conflict of like, are they really Catholic? And mm-hmm. it was like, they had their roots back to Thomas. Right. And they had their tradition back to Thomas. And so there's like, oh, wow, this is actually a Catholic group. But because of the geopolitical situation of Rome following, falling and then uh, Islam kind of rising and conquering after the Persians and the and Mongols. And then the, um,
1: this great <laughs> schism between the yeah. East and West.
0: East and the West split, Constantinople Falls, which is kind of the last connecting point between East and West. And all of a sudden, you've got this isolated church in India that just doesn't, the trade routes are different, and there's not really communication. So that's a fascinating reality to me, but especially if St. Thomas did, in fact, get to China, which I believe some of what I was reading is some of the um, excerpts from the bravery mm-hmm. in these, from these Indian Catholics mention the great St. Thomas and his mission work to the Chinese. Yeah. And so that's kind of a, a proof text. There's not much more um but it's kind of a, an argument towards he went even farther yeah. and so f- it could be like from the apostolic age there was a christian kind of touch point but then during the great age of evangelization with kind of the naval uh developments of europe um uh, we had missionaries going to china going to japan uh through all the trade routes and stuff um as well as the land routes but uh, principally through the trade routes, kind of uh, naval-based uh, yeah. ones. And so you did have the, these, especially Jesuits, starting to come into the East uh, in the 1500s, 1600s. Um, right. So it's it's just a fascinating reality of different attempts and then what kind of stuck, what didn't, what was stamped out, and then what's still there. And we could do a whole other podcast about, you know, the underground churches in China, the underground churches in around the far east but
1: yeah it's really beautiful and you just see like god's fingerprint through it i think um of all the evangelization it seems like the um the asian continent has uh, like was most hostile um and i don't even think that's the right word but like most resistant maybe to receiving the christian message um where there's kind of the least success if i can use that word i think the um the native people in uh, the native Americans, the Indians in um, the U S and the Americas also had uh, some hostility, but like you look at Mexico, like the whole Mexican country and, and continent in certain ways was converted through the Franciscan missionaries who came from Spain um, <clears throat> at up. first met with hostility, but then eventually converted and, and certainly yeah, different topic. I don't yeah. want to get off here, yeah. <laughs> but my point with bringing that up is like, I don't know what it was, about, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the kind of Asian cultures or what, but why were they so resistant? And again, my two theories are, one, because the emperor is divine, and two, because there's a caste system and they don't want to be equal. And so the Christian claim is always Christ is divine. We worship him, not anyone on this earth. And we're all brothers and sisters going towards that. We're all equal in that sense.
0: So let's pivot back to our great saint martyr. Andrew Kim Taigan and Companions. Great. So he, uh, I learned this during our last attempt at this podcast, <laughs> um, was <laughs> the first native-born uh, Korean priest in, yes. well, in Korea, obviously. And he, his, I believe his father was one of these kind of leaders of the Christian communities uh, and can, had... Fathered in a way, uh, many of the Christians baptizing them, teaching them, uh, because he had learned the faith when he was, I believe, in in China as well. And so, Andrew Kim Taigan, because there was no structural church in Korea, uh, but wanted to become a priest, went and studied in a seminary in China, which is crazy, because that means at that time the church had taken root enough in China to have some seminaries, and so. Mm-hmm. He studied in a seminary in China. I can't remember where the seminary was explicitly, but he was ordained a priest in Shanghai, I mm-hmm. believe, and then entered back into uh, Korea as their first native born priest and doing uh, just the sacramental and evangelization uh, care for right. the faith that was already there. Like he wasn't, he, he went and he grew the faith more, but he, he wasn't starting from nothing. There was this community already grown up around the church, um, this mystery of the church existing without the structures, the buildings, the, you know, very, very apostolic in its in its time. And then he's there uh, and they start you know, baptizing more and, and the sacraments are now present and the church is kind of starting to grow with a greater excitement, which obviously attracts more attention now. Uh, if it's kind of low-key in the, in the houses and um, right. the uh, large communities or large entire uh, villages are not um, kind of participating. It's like, okay, whatever, we can let these people do their thing. But now it's starting to grow. It's starting to become more visible, more public.
1: And Right, and that might be when it was kind of threatening to <clears throat> the government, threatening to the emperor or whatever. Um, right, so we, we celebrate on September 20th, uh, St. Andrew Kim Taegon and, and his companions, right? So 103 uh, the story that I read martyrs, but they actually think there's much more than that. And what's cool is like many of them are named and you you could like go and read like uh, all these martyrs who were killed for the faith. And again St. Andrew Kim Taegon is named first because he was the first Korean priest. Uh, he's not necessarily the first to die or the last to die. Um, there were Uh, more before him, more after him. Uh, But I think like what inspired me, what made me want to podcast about this is probably twofold. One, uh, just this beautiful gift of of martyrdom that so many countries have like, you know, uh, so-and-so and and companions, you know, the 40 40 Martyrs of Sebast or whatever it is. And uh, this heroic effort to preserve and defend the faith in the midst of persecution, and the heroism of that um, and then secondly just thinking about as you were mentioning earlier deacon of like christ commands go out to all the world baptizing them you know what is it uh go in um go forth and teach all nations baptizing them it's all nations it's to the ends of the world uh, not just to you know wherever but it's like that's the christian message and the good news is diffusive of itself like it'll spread if we get it there, um, and it will have rippling effects, just like it has everywhere, uh, especially in Europe. Um, but how do we get it to continue to spread in these kind of far-reaching, secular, pagan areas? And that's what's so cool to reflect on on Korea. I think is like four thousand people waiting, who are Christians, baptized, waiting for their priest to come. And it yeah. took, I don't know, uh, uh, over two or three generations. It said before. Um, before they had their first priest.
0: And now we have a small but growing uh, Catholic and Christian community in especially South Korea. I don't know about North Korea. I'm um, sure
1: there has to be underground churches in North yeah, Korea. There's though. definitely
0: nothing public, but um, I, I think there's probably something underground. A lot fled, I know, to South Korea um, during during the time where the North Korean regime was set up. But we now have, in 2027 world youth day going to south korea let's go which let's go or let's go let's go and let's <laughs> but, go um, and so when we we're at world youth day in portugal uh they announce where the next world youth day is going to be which is 2027 in south korea and people just lost it out of excitement like everybody was stoked for south korea and i think it's twofold i think that the south korean christians um who obviously some of them knew because they were, you know, ready to be up on stage when they got the announcement and there's kind of murmurings and some people were talking like, Oh, I think it's going to be South Korea. So obviously this has been decided more than like the day of uh, the announcement at the last day of, of the of official sure. events.
1: You'd think they'd have to ask the government and yeah. all that.
0: But to have um, world youth day, kind of the, the global gathering of Catholic youth moving to the far East for this week-long event where um, it's less of a, a pilgrimage to a particular site rather than the church saying, at this particular site, we are going to gather together. Right. And so... Because uh, it's, it's been
1: to the Philippines, mm-hmm. uh, World Youth Day, but I think the Philippines are a much different country uh, with the Spaniards kind of coming there and evangelizing it and, and yeah. whatnot.
0: And they had been Catholic f- longer, and and that's an interesting whole other side yeah. side topic of like how successful the Spaniards were with spreading the gospel rather than spreading merely their culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, the gospel is part of their culture, but I think that's part of like, there was a strong resistance against the English because the English weren't principally about evangelization. The English said, we want this land and we want to establish these colonies and this right. trade. And, um, we, they're kind of setting up, a." A republic or uh, locales, contra- kind of under, but different from the king. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they kind of worked with the natives in America, but kind of were also pushing them out. The history is a lot worse mm-hmm. uh, from the English side. The French were a little bit more on the evangelization side, um, but there is just this distrust uh, because of what was kind of happening. Whereas in the in South America, it was it wasn't great all the time, but there was a lot more. Uh, evangelization and the queen um queen of spain at the time said no all of these native peoples are subject to the queen yeah which she's a catholic queen so she said they are equal in dignity and we will not abuse and and um uh take from them steal from them um now obviously there's plenty of that that happened um but the queen declaring their equal dignity in the eyes of the law under the Spanish empire, like you didn't get that from the other countries. Mm -hmm. Now on the ground, how that played out was a lot messier. Uh, And the Franciscans and the Jesuits um, were, and some Dominicans were exceptionally um, effective at building these cultures. And there was, I I believe it was a Franciscan group that they, they basically built this massive town of kind of the native population somewhere in uh, South America and then um, the, they were becoming so successful kind of agriculturally and with their trade built around kind of a, a Christian ideal, a Christian township that the, some of the uh, Spaniards came in and basically took over and stole the entire village mm. and pushed this group of, of natives out with their Franciscan uh, priests and they went to another place yeah. and just did it again. They, they built another thriving, successful township um, and, and kind of built around the gospel. But that is a whole tangent. <laughs> Sorry, uh, because now we're looking the East, never really got or received that. Um, and, and part of it, is is the difficulty of the train part of it's the difficulty of um just kind of the isolated rural agrarian nature of much of china and korea um at the time and a lot of it was the ruling governing bodies and and kind of the ideas around the emperors and and kings but once it started to take um it grows and south korea now uh is about 50 percent of south korea kind of a religious, no explicit religion, um, not necessarily strictly atheistic, but just kind of not religious. Kind of maybe some traditional practices, but nothing, um, nothing of great uh, import. But then you've got in twenty-something percent are Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, kind of mainline Protestant is is the next largest after that of people who profess. Well, which is fascinating. Like a quarter of the population. Is Catholic in yeah. South Korea, and so for, for that to be where we choose to go, meet as a church, um, I, I just see like this like ray of light sh- you know shooting into this part of the world where um, the whole world is having issues right now, um, But to, to have this bright kind of spot of South Korea, which is so close, obviously next to North Korea and so close to China, and just everything that's going on, um, feels like God's doing something with this
1: absolutely yeah and it's cool and and maybe to kind of wrap it up it's like how are we called to spread the good news and i think sometimes we can get overwhelmed of like i i can't go to china like i can't go to korea i don't want to go to north korea you know um and certainly like there there might be some timidity there but at the heart of it the good news is meant to be lived in your heart and lived out in your your life you know practically speaking like uh, a smile, you know, um, do you have a crucifix in your home? Do you have uh a Marian image in your garden somewhere? um I think those are great ways to kind of evangelize now, yeah, we look weird we're Catholic, <laughs> but uh the good news can be spread evangelized in your backyard in your neighborhood uh with your neighbor Have you ever invited someone to mass with you? Have you ever invited someone um
0: into a Bible study, a Bible study or to even come to just, RCIA. You even know? just your home. And like having your home set up with I like my parents have like religious paintings and statues like in a lot of different places and people know they're Catholic, but it's it's not like necessarily a hey, we're gonna come over and introduce you to our timeshare with the Catholic Church. Um but to just be present to people, especially now in an era where we're so individual and so uh, we kind of go out for our work, and then we kind of order our takeout, and then we go back to our house, um, and we are very selective with kind of our people that we choose to let in to our life, and um, to just be open to more people. I need to grow in this uh, to be able to strike up a conversation and just be a loving figure, um, and then if it comes up, especially you know if I'm wearing my collar or something, but even if not, uh, just sharing yeah. You know about the faith, what I do, why it matters to me. Uh, it's not just something I do on the side; that's kind of my thing. But the church is corporate; it's together; it's us. And so we're inviting we're inviting people into something bigger than us. You're not just trying to present your salvation and how you found salvation, and they can too privately in their own way, but actually inviting them into the, the corporate body of the church, which is one. Ephesians four, Saint Paul says there is one body and one spirit. Uh, that is the church. Yeah.
1: Yeah, amen. It's one holy, Catholic, and apostolic um, <clears throat> church, you know. So, uh, see you in Korea in 2027.
0: Five years? Four years? <laughs> what year is it? 2023? Four years. Four years. See you in four years in Korea. Um, we'll lead a group together again.
1: That'd be awesome. But yeah, we we asked for the intercession of um, St. Andrew, Taegon, and and companions, uh, martyrs. And then again, part of the reason I was thinking about this is with, you know, as you mentioned, St. Thomas the Apostle, but then the day after that was St. Matthew's Feast Day. Uh, Also an apostle, also someone who went and was martyred for the faith because he went to spread the good news. Like we're all called to evangelize in some way. We all have a part in this and um, start small. Don't feel like, you know, if God's not calling you to go across the ocean, don't go. Like start in your backyard, but don't be afraid to, to do it. Ask someone, ask someone to consider, you know, joining you for RCIA, or ask someone to consider coming to mass with you. But um, sometimes the biggest way to evangelize is through a smile, through uh, joy, through uh, the joy of the gospel. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Father Sean, for this topic. Uh, it's good for me to always reflect back on how I can enter reflect back, reflect back, <laughs> reflect back on how I can better evangelize. Because me too. Um, I, like, uh, on an objective sense, it's, it's definitely not one of my strong suits going out. Um, and so I, I love to reflect back on it. Thank you. Any shout-outs?
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Deacon Jacob. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, shout-outs. Um, maybe I'll give Father Matt Christians a shout-out. Uh, not maybe, but I am <laughs> giving him a shout-out. giving him one, maybe. Father Matt Christians, you're the real deal. Uh, pastor of three parishes or maybe one parish and three churches i'm not quite sure uh, up in conrad montana um helena diocese uh crazy he's been a priest shorter than me and he's already a pastor he was a priest for one year and then the bishop was like now you're gonna go be pastor i can't imagine being moved yep. that quickly so god bless you thanks for your work um you have a good uh patron in your name
0: <laughs> yeah we could just talk about the feast of st matthew so uh, missionary work up there, three different parishes, uh, a, lot of, a lot of territory to cover. I'm going to shout out two people I don't know, uh, a family and somebody else I don't know. Father Sean's laughing because I, I did this more during the banter period of the last time we tried, but when I was in Oxford, uh, I went to one of the sites where the uh, Inklings, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were, uh, Lamb and Flag is the name of it, I believe. Hopefully I'm not messing that up. The other was Eagle and Child. We're not going to get into The that bird and the baby. <laughs> but I was at Lamb and Flag to uh, drink a pint of beer and read something where the Inklings met. And uh, as I was there reading... Who are the Inklings? C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, and others. Yes. <laughs> I can't remember the Good. others. Um, Those are the main two. So I, there was this young woman who was kind of off in the corner, and as I was sitting down and getting settled, she kind of was getting up and heading out. And she, as she stood up, I saw she had this... Uh, rosary wrapped around her, her wrist and she was wearing uh, crucifix metal uh, I believe and so as she was leaving I was like oh I should say hey are you here for the Inklings too and then I thought that'd be weird don't do that so now I'm being even weirder and saying it on a podcast but I want to shout out whoever she was and also test the reach of this podcast so if you know uh, who this who this young woman might have been who was on pilgrimage to the Inklings site in Oxford uh, in mid-August um if you're a listener, that'd be awesome. If you know who this might have been, email us. Let us know. I'd love to see if there's a connection there. And then second, shout out this uh, really cool family that was in the London Gatwick Airport, who I did talk to their oldest son, forgot Gatwick. his name, didn't get the name of the family, but they were obviously Catholic. Uh, they had like six or seven kids, and I was as I was talking to their oldest son, they'd been traveling for like a month, you know. doing a bunch of pilgrimage sites. They'd gotten to Fatima maybe three days before World Youth Day hit hit Lisbon and then I was talking to him and I said oh well I went to Fatima's at World Youth Day he's like oh that's so cool did you see the Pope and I said yeah and he's like oh I haven't, I haven't seen the Pope that'd be awesome but it's just really cool to see this this family they had like super Italian Catholic names I can't remember what they were it was like Giovanni uh, maybe some others anyway if you know who this family was that traveled with all their kids uh, you can always if, tell who a Catholic family is or if is. you're listeners um that'd be super cool uh, I met your oldest son uh, shout out to you guys doing a family kind of travel and pilgrimage and um, yeah everybody else thanks for listening
1: you know what should we just shout out to the whole world
0: shout out to the whole world that's, that's what Father every Mike kid. always does
1: <laughs> Father Mike always does that yeah anyways thanks for listening everyone Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com email us with any complaints thoughts questions kudos and what have you
0: Peace and blessings. Bye.